0: If you could, if you have your Bible near you, would you take it and open it to the book of Acts? I'd like to start there and uh, preface just a, um, a couple things as we'll move to the Old Testament. Look at a couple points um, regarding the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign of Christ on this earth and uh, some very, very great promises that are are given to us in scripture about what is yet to come. And uh, we want to look a little bit at that tonight. First, I want you to go to the book of Acts, the book of Acts in chapter 1, Acts chapter 1. We'll be looking at verse 4, Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. This is, of course, after uh, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Um, Shortly before this, I believe right around the same time, he has given the great commission to his church in Matthew chapter 28. Some... Last instructions before he ascends into heaven, regarding the Holy Spirit and some things that he wants his church to do. But I want to notice a couple things and and jump off from from this point uh, for the lesson uh, that we have tonight. Acts chapter one and verse four. And being assembled together with Him, this is speaking of Christ assembled together with his church. Again, like I said, I believe the great commission is just been given and he is there on this mountaintop with his church being assembled together with them he commanded them that they should not depart from jerusalem but wait for the promise of the father which saith he ye have heard of me for john truly baptized with water but ye shall be baptized with the holy ghost not many days hence of course he is talking what would Take place in chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes in power upon the church and empowers them to do uh, what God has called them to do, to be witnesses, um, to uh, prove the things that He has said to them. So He says you need to wait. Notice this in verse 6, a question that they ask. And this is going to point back to some things I've said in previous lessons. When they therefore were come together, they asked of Him, saying, Lord... Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? If you remember last week, I I made mention that the Old Testament is packed full of kingdom promises. This this idea of a kingdom, the kingdom of Christ or the anointed one, uh, the kingdom of God, was not a New Testament only thing. No, it's a biblical principle. And these uh, disciples being Uh, well-versed and knowledgeable in the Old Testament, knew exactly what the promises were, that the Messiah would come to reign. The Messiah would establish His kingdom on this earth, and He would rule it, and it would be righteous, and all nations would be subject to Him. He would rule them with a rod of iron, and injustice and inequity, and things that we looked at last week. They knew that. And that is the reason why they asked this question. And they ask it uh, many different times we see is recorded in Scripture. What they're saying here now after they've been with Him for these three or three and a half years and they've seen His crucifixion, they are speaking to the resurrected Christ. They have no doubt in their mind who He is. They ask that question, Okay, now, Lord, is it going to be now? Or are you going to establish the kingdom, not only that you've been talking about, but that the Bible talks about? Again, I don't think that's a coincidence. They know because the Old Testament is so packed full of it, and this very kingdom that they are talking about, the very kingdom that the Old Testament promises, is the very same kingdom that we are studying from Revelation chapter 20. Christ's kingdom on this earth for a thousand years. So they're asking here is it now? Verse 7. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which a father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. He says, Not yet. There's a job for you to do. The Holy Ghost is going to come upon you and you're going to be witnesses. The gospel is going to be spread. Disciples will be made of all nations. Teach, baptize and teach just as he has just Told them. You see, quite often we can do that as humanity and, and the disciples are no different. They just received this great commission. All authority is given to me. Now I want you to go make disciples. I want you to perpetuate this cycle. And what's the first question they ask? Not how do we do it or where do we go? Are you going to restore the kingdom right now? They, they lost track. And so that's why the Lord gives the answer that he does. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons. That's up to God Basically, telling them, hey guys, relax, there's a job to do. Verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, they're watching, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. This is the ascension of Christ. They are on the Mount of Olives, he is taken up in the clouds up into heaven. If you remember, I believe it was in Acts chapter 3, it says, Heaven has received Him until the times of restitution when He comes back and He restores all things. Verse 10, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as He went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. These two angels are standing there says, says, What are you guys staring at the sky for? Part of it is a reminder of what Jesus had just told them. You're going to receive power. You're going to be witnesses for me. But there's something that is said there that um, it pertains to our study. This same Jesus, which was taken up from you in heaven, shall come back in the same manner as you saw him go. Well, this should be ringing some bells from a few weeks ago when we were looking in places like Matthew chapter 24 and First and Second uh, Thessalonians and um, those scriptures that deal with the return of Christ. He was taken up, verse 9, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Doesn't Matthew chapter 24 says, Behold, the Son of Man shall come in the clouds in His glory, the same manner that they saw Him go. With that in mind, let's go to the book of Zechariah. So if you start going towards the Old Testament, you'll run into the book of Matthew. The last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. Zechariah is One door to the left of of Malachi, Zechariah chapter 14. Again, this is not a New Testament only concept. So we read like the book of Acts in chapter one and we say, oh, that's great. That's a promise that the angels gave that um, that's where we look to. And and we know that he's going to return just like he came. Well, that's not the only place. Matthew chapter 24 is not the only place. In fact, those two places are quoting another place right here. The two testaments are so linked together they are inseparable. You do not unhitch one from the other. The two meld together to become this wonderful, beautiful book that we have called the Bible. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Remember what that phrase means? The day of the Lord. Not only the day of His return and His righteous pouring out of judgment... Uh, but the day that He takes all things to Himself and begins to reign as King Supreme. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and the spoils and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city." So, again, there are some things that have a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. And this can be talking about the, uh, the captivity and the, the judgment that Jerusalem was under at the time that this was written. But um, this also finds its final fulfillment in what we call the Battle of Armageddon, right? When the nations of the earth, the nations of Antichrist, are, battled to, are, are gathered to do battle with God. Notice verse 3, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as He fought in the day of battle. So the Lord is going to go forth and conquer. We know that. We studied that from Revelation chapter 19 when He returns and He defeats the armies of the Antichrist, the armies of rebellion, simply by the word of His mouth and His armies fight with Him. Now notice this. Verse 4, Zechariah 14.4 In fact, If you want to turn back to Acts chapter 1 and write in the margin, I would write this verse here, this reference here, Zechariah 14, 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. You see that? The same manner you saw him go, he shall come again. And that was prophesied long before Christ ever came to this earth it says the lord is going to come he's going to fight against his enemies and in that day his feet will stand upon the day, uh, upon the mount of olives just like it's told us it's promised us in acts chapter 1 and it is told us in revelation 19 and 20 when Christ returns he's going to come back In the area of the city of Jerusalem, specifically to the Mount of Olives, he will descend from heaven as he he ascended to go to heaven where he is now waiting for his return. When he comes back, he will descend from heaven and his foot shall stand upon the Mount of Olives. And notice what happens. Verse 4, His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and towards the west. It's going to split in two. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach into Azal. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah. And the Lord, my God, shall come and all the saints with thee. This is Revelation 19. Hundreds of years, thousands of years before it was ever revealed to John. It's already been told us. God, Christ, is going to come back to this earth. His foot is going to touch the Mount of Olives. It's going to split. It's going to flatten And when He comes, He brings all His saints with Him. The bride, remember? His wife hath made herself ready. And all the host of heaven, the armies of heaven, riding on these white horses just like Him. All these things we've talked about when Christ comes back is here in the Old Testament. Verse 6, And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night. But it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. Remember we read, I believe it was in Ezekiel... uh, No. Isaiah chapter 60. We read that last week. It's prophesied that God is the light. He's going to be the shining light in this time. Verse 8. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem... Half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea and in summer and winter it shall be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and His name one. Again, there is no other time in history that this has ever been the case. There have been other kings, there have been other gods, nations following after pagan gods or gods of their own making. He says, in that day when He comes and His foot touches the Mount of Olives and that thing splits and He comes with all of His saints and He is the light of the world, He will be king over all the earth. And in that day there shall be one Lord and His name one. It's hard for us to imagine, right? The only, the only sense we get of this right now is in our little communities of heaven called the local church body. Where God is our God, right? There is no other gods unless we let ourselves get in the way and then we have to repent and, and uh, let the Lord be put back on the throne. But in society as a whole, we don't understand this. We do in the church, and there's going to be a day, and and the church is to be a representative of of this here on the earth, just as the nation of Israel was. But there's going to be a day when He returns, when He reigns supreme, and He is Lord, and all people look to Him and worship Him and Him alone. Look what it goes on to say. Verse 10, And the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to Rimmon south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate unto the corner gate and from the tower of Hananel unto the king's winepress and men shall dwell in it and there shall be no more utter destruction but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited we looked at that last week when we ta- uh, in Isaiah chapter 2 where it talks about Israel being the center focus. Here it says when the Mount of Olives splits, everything up around Jerusalem becomes a flat plain and the city of Jerusalem is exalted literally up on the face of the landscape. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 1 through 4 tells us that Jerusalem becomes, as it were, the center of all the earth. Why? Because Christ is there and He is reigning from there. It becomes the capital of the earth. We don't, we don't have a capital of the earth. We have a capital of our, our United States, right? Where our government sits, the head of our nation sits. And most of, if not all, the laws flow out from that capital. Of course, we know ours is corrupt because it's run by men. And we're usually griping about the laws that come out of there, but our attention is turned as Americans to Washington, D.C. and what happens there. Well, in a much greater sense, in a much more holy sense, Jerusalem will be the capital of the earth. And all law will flow from there. In fact, Isaiah tells us in chapter 2 that, Nations go up to Jerusalem because they want to learn the law of God. Let us go up and learn of God and hear His law and His word will rule the world from Jerusalem because, again, Zechariah 14, 9, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth and He will rule and reign from Jerusalem. The center of so much Political upheaval, the center of so much unrest, will be the center of peace for the whole entire earth because Christ rules from there as king. It's interesting to note in the next verses, these are pretty graphic, but it kind of goes back to what happens at the battle of Armageddon when the Lord puts down His enemies. And notice what it says. (laughs) Zechariah 14, verse 12. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord shall smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand on their feet. And their eyes shall consume away in their holes. And their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Literally wasting away, dissolving away eyes and sockets, tongues and mouths, and flesh on their bones. It's not a pretty picture. But again, as we spoke spoke of in length when we studied this, there is a righteous judgment coming. Verse 13, And it came to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them, and they shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbor, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor and Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem and all the wealth of the heathen round about shall be gathered together, gold and silver and apparel in great abundance. And so, and so shall be the plague of the horse, of the mule, of the camel and of the ass and of all the beasts that shall be in these tents as this plague. The whole opposition to God will be destroyed and He will rule. Notice what it says in verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, with Christ coming to rule from Jerusalem on this earth, it seems to be that there is a worldwide worship system set up. And it seems to be very similar to the Old Testament way, the sacrificial system. And it's not in... Uh, as in, in the Old Testament, it was done in anticipation of Christ to come. So every sacrifice that was done, all, every lamb that was slain, every uh, offering that was given was all pointing to Christ, knowing that, uh, as Hebrew says, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. It was, it was faith that was placed in the mercy of God, and that lamb was a picture. And the closer they got to Christ, I think the more that they understood what that meant. That's not going to be the sense, it seems, with what happens during the millennial reign. It's going to be in commemoration, in adoration of what he's done. So it's not pointing to, it's pointing back. Much like the Lord's Supper is for the church now. We do that in commemoration. In fact, doesn't Scripture say, and most of our altars are marked with a phrase, this do in remembrance of me, right? We do it in remembrance, in commemoration of what the Lord has done for us. And It seems to be there's going to be some kind of sacrificial system set back up that is in commemoration for all that Christ has done. And all the nations come to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep His feasts. And if they don't, there is consequences. Verse seventeen: It shall be that whoso, verse seventeen, that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth into Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of Hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not that, that have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord shall smite the heathen that come not up to feast to the, keep the feast of tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. So there is going to be consequences. Verse 20, In that day there shall be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord, and the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts, and all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and seed therein. And in that day there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. It's going to be totally, fully focused on him. Why? Because He is King and He will be receiving the rightful worship that He deserves. It's going to be quite a change, isn't it? It is literally going to be a refreshing, a restoration, a realigning of how things were meant to be. We talked about that last week, looking in places of the Old Testament. Um, Isaiah chapter 35 speaks of of healing that will take place to the natural world. It says that deserts will blossom. You know, many people find beauty in the desert, and I don't want to be mean or (laughs) insensitive, but it's not my favorite place. I don't, uh, well, I'll take that back. There's been some times I've sat in the desert at night, and you can see stars and uh, just the beauty of the sky because there's, there's nothing obstructing it and you really get this awesome sense of the universe above us. But other than that, it's not much my thing. In fact, I find it rather desolate and unappealing and kind of blah. I mean, it is a desert. That's what we gave it to name for. It's a deserted place. For me, I find true beauty of God's creation and places with lakes and rivers and trees and lush abundance abundant greenery and and how i would imagine the garden of eden being and isaiah chapter 35 says in that day when he returns these deserts these deserted places where life is hard and and uh, there is not an abundant amount of life supported They will blossom, it says, like the rose. The deserted places will blossom like the rose. And I believe it's in Ezekiel chapter 47. It says it's going to become again like the Garden of Eden. The desolate places have become like the Garden of Eden. So when Christ comes, not only is there a realigning of government, a realigning of worship, But as we've talked about, there's going to be a realigning of the natural world. The damage that we've done, the damage that sin has taken on this planet Earth seemingly will be healed and reversed a bit. And I want to touch on something we passed over very quickly last time and we'll go there and we'll probably finish off there. So in your Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah chapter 65, as we read scripture, we see very quickly as we come away from Eden as a human race, away from Eden and perfection, the world created perfectly, that it begins to have a very real effect on us as humanity, and you see lifespans begin to drastically Well, you see, lifespans begin to diminish, and drastically so after the Flood. There are many uh, reasons for that, and um, I'll touch on one of them here in just a minute. But for many thousands of years now, we have not enjoyed long lifespans. In fact, even the writers of Scripture saw this very quickly. I believe it's in Psalm 90. I may be misquoting, forgive me, but I, I... I believe it says man's a lot of time is 70 years, 80 if the Lord blesses. I mean, that holds pretty true for us as a human race. We've got that much time. But there's a drastic change that occurs not only in the global um, uh, focus Uh, of worship, the global focus of government, the global focus of nature when Christ returns, but it has a very real effect on us. In Isaiah chapter 65, and verse 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people and the voice of weeping shall no more be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Now verse 20. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days, nor the child, or excuse me, for the child shall die a hundred years old. But the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. Now that's one of those very King James verses in the King James Bible, and it can be kind of difficult to understand if we don't slow down a little bit. God says, I'm making a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be joyful, and it's going to be so much better, and it's going to have a real effect. And you got to understand all of these things that Isaiah has already said about the environment, about the restoration of, of righteousness, all of this is factoring in and building on another. So some of these things would already be understood. But in Isaiah 65 and 20, it says this, "...there shall be no more thence an infant of days." There's not going to be someone dying in infancy. It's one of the most heartbreaking things I could think of to give birth to a child and the infant only live but a few days and and having its whole life ahead of him and the heartbreak of the parents and all that. It says in the millennial kingdom, that's not going to happen. There's not going to be an infant just passing away days of and let me just say this, there's a lot of people who try to look at verses like this and promises like this and say, well, you know, that's figuratively talking about this time and that time again. There's been no time in human history that this has been the case. Death has passed upon all men, Romans chapter 5, from infants to old men to teenagers to young men to young women. We see people all around us. Um, Coming face to face with death. But in the millennial reign, he says it's going to be different. When I create the new heavens and the new earth, this is what's going to be like. There's not going to be an infant just passing away, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For if for the child should die a hundred years old, for if someone it, could be translated this way: For if someone dies a hundred years old, it's like they were just a child. But the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. Either they're just but a child, or they were cursed and under judgment by God. So there's not going to be infants dying. And if somebody dies at a hundred years old, they're going to look and say, "Man, they must have been cursed by God." Because there's all the, the people are going to fill out their days. Well, again, that's kind of hard for us to understand because a hundred years old to us is really old. If we think about it, I think of my grandparents. They are approaching a hundred years old. They're really old, and if they get to a hundred, we're probably going to throw a big old celebration because it's a big thing for somebody in our day and age or any day and age in the recent past several hundred years to live to a hundred years old. So what's this talking about? If somebody dies at 100, they're just a baby. I would think anybody who lived to 100 being far from a baby. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 5. and Let me leave you with just these few thoughts. Genesis chapter 5. This is coming out of Eden, the Garden of Eden, right? Before the flood begins in Genesis chapter 6 and following... And we're given a list of Adam's descendants, and I want you to just notice some things as we go. What would the Bible say is living, uh, filling out his days? We're given examples. Uh, Genesis five five, and all the days that Adam lived were nine hundred and thirty years, and he died. Nine hundred and thirty years. I can't imagine someone living, oh, I'm, I'm not good at math, I'm trying to do this fast, but 1120 A.D., somewhere around there, between 1,000 and 1,100, that's like medieval ages, living till now. Can you imagine that, seeing all of the progress, by the way, that we've come through in the last 930 years? That's how long Adam lived. Verse 8, and the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Verse 11, the days of Enos were 905 years. Fourteen: Verse 14, all the days of Canaan were 910 years. And it goes on, 900, 800 years, 962. Of course, the oldest being Methuselah, 969 years. If you want to talk about fullness of days, that's fullness of days. Is that something, uh, though it's something hard for us to understand, is that some some crazy thing outside of God's plan? No. Because this is just outside of Eden. That means we were closest to perfection, to the intended creation, the, the intended purpose and creation of God. Sin comes in and we begin to degrade after that. So this is actually less than our intended purpose by God, right? So these people living now with a sin nature in a sin affected world are filling out their days seven, eight, nine hundred years. Now it takes a drastic dip after the flood And I believe that is because of some changes that happened to the environment. It talks about the fountains of the earth being broken up and the heavens opening up. And just really quickly, um, you can do some research on this on your own. It seems to be there was a layer of water around our planet. And what we have, what we call the ozone layer, is what is left from that. A a layer of water that would filter some of the UV rays that would... uh, promote plant growth. It would promote human health and human vitality, almost like a greenhouse kind of effect, just the way plants grow very well in a greenhouse. Um, It would have that kind of effect on our planet. Well, if that layer came in and flooded the earth and now we are we don't have that protective layer around us, that could be a very real explanation for why why lifespans began dropping and now we have what we are used to. All that to say, if the millennial kingdom is the restitution and the restoration, you have not only governmental rightness with Christ ruling, not only religious rightness because Christ is the king of the earth, but you have the earth itself being healed. So it's very possible that the desert blossoms again like a rose and and it becomes again like the Garden of Eden because the Lord restores the earth back to its original intent that now humanity begins living out the days as we were intended to as well. These things are pretty exciting to me, actually. They're pretty exciting promises when you get... Uh, we really get down to thinking about it So I want to leave you with those thoughts Some of the Old Testament promises Next Wednesday we're going to move to talking about These saints that come with Him and, and who are these that are are with the Lord And as Revelation 20 says They rule and they reign Is that a New Testament only? Or does the Old Testament speak about that as well? We're going to begin looking at that next week. So I pray it's been a blessing.